the three biggest things are, and none of them, I'm really sorry, listeners, none of them are fun, none of them are sexy, and almost all of them involve spreadsheets. The three biggest things <laughs> yes. would be, it's just true, it's just true, get, get comfortable with spreadsheets. The goal isn't to live forever. The goal is to create something that will. Welcome to Perspective, a podcast for wedding creatives, where we sit down often with a special guest and talk about our many years of experience in the wedding industry so that you can learn from us and to help grow your wedding business. Many of us out there in the wedding world are all too familiar with our own abilities as creatives. But how often does this attention to our own creative skills make us unable to focus on the business aspect of our businesses? The strategies we implement and the decisions we make as creatives might not be what drives our businesses forward in the way that we want. Making better business decisions is the topic of today's episode of Perspective, as we're talking about how to run your business as a CEO, and we're doing that with Michaela Karina. This episode is, of course, sponsored by With Jack, but I will get onto that a little bit later in the show. However, Greg, what are we drinking? Because I'm dying to taste this coffee. Yes, yeah, so this is something that you brought in from your beans.ie delivery. Yep. And I've seen people receiving it in the mail on their Instagram because it's a pretty cool package. It's mm-hmm. a plastic bottle, like carton type thing. And it's called, what's that, Fried Hats. And it's a Peru filter coffee. Yep. You've brewed it up on the Chemex. Although the grind that they've gave you doesn't look like Chemex grind. It doesn't. It's super fine. It's not it took a long time to so, make this coffee. Come where out. we give this a taste. Michaela, what are you drinking? I have got a cup of rooibos or redbush tea. I'm South African, so I thought that was um, appropriate. Very Ooh, cool. Nice. Oh, yeah. Man, I haven't had that in ages, actually. It's so nice. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird thing because we have it with milk which is like a South African thing. And I think people think that herbal tea with milk is strange. You know, well, I've never heard it with milk before. So, I, 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 but I'm not going to call you strange. That'd be rude. You're a guest on the podcast. <laughs> oh, I've been at guest places and they've been like, really? Milk in, in your herbal tea? Oh, really? no. Oh, <laughs> no. That's just rude. <laughs> uh, so how have you been? Good. I mean, what is life these days? Like, mm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know what to respond uh, good, all things considering. Yes, yeah. Have you been spending your time recently with this whole situation? Yeah, I took the first three weeks off when everyone was sort of panicking and I kind of did some crafting and some sewing. And then pretty much since then, I've been doing what I guess comes as no surprise if people know me, but just building businesses and doing back-end stuff, redesigning websites, you know, all of the sort of non-sexy stuff. Very um, cool. Yeah. Yeah, and had the occasional. I've had two two very small little lockdown weddings, which has been sweet. Oh, that's cool. We haven't had yeah. any, so that must be that must have been really nice to, to get back to shooting them. It was. It was nice, but unusual, but nice. Yeah, were they, were they all... Socially distanced, well, and 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 protected with their masks and all and all that kind of good stuff. No, there were no masks. They had um, they did have like after the ceremony, there was sort of like a ceremonial passing of the anti-vax wipes, which I thought was quite funny. Um, <laughs> and then it was it was two bubbles that came together, so I think that made it okay to hug. Oh, I think. Right. oh very cool. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. the no hugging thing 
is going to be weird like if that stays but if you can go up to someone and hug them once they've got married that's that's kind of getting back to normal feeling isn't it yeah yeah uh but what have you been up to greg i took a couple of days off at the start of the week and went up to aberdeen because you can now stay in people's houses Mm. so i could visit my sister up there and see the kids And because they're under 12 was able to get hugs and stuff from them so did that went a few forest walks uh yeah it was good couple of days how how have they been dealing with uh with the situation because obviously they're well one was a teacher but they do have they have three kids yeah, they've been like properly homeschooling. Like Ooh. they had full on lessons every day. Wow. My sister had to go into school a few days a week or every so often because some of the essential workers' children had to come into the school. Oh, yeah. So she had to go in and just be present for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've coped. They're getting there. Yeah. I, I find that job uh, quite admirable um, for the parents who have been um, homeschooling their kids a- anywhere near to the degree of, of a school because I tried it for a week and it was not the easiest of experiences, I have to say. So, yeah, if you're a parent out there teaching your kid, or you, maybe you were teaching your kid, maybe not now because it's the summer holidays, but yeah, good job. Yeah. Um, what have you been up to? Well, you know, I uh, I, I kind of not really had an educational I had like street educational moment the other day uh, I, I took my kids to uh, one of the country parks that are up here um, near me uh, Mugdock Park and not that I knew this but there was actually a castle which you can kind of go around and have a look but just below the castle there's like a big garden and uh, my kids went down there and they were amazed because they found a field of baby frogs and I've never seen so many baby frogs in my life just frogs all over the place, like th- thousands, thousands of frogs. Yeah. Uh, and they were just having a, a great time just um, picking them up and having a look at them. And yeah, obviously being very careful, got to be responsible with our nature, but uh, man, they, they were, they were, they were loving it. And they found mm. some, uh, some lizards and other things. So yeah. Sounds but, uh, fun. Yeah. And then, we, and then we went and got some ice cream. It was, it was good. And uh, I took, again, I, I took my camera because everyone knows I'm doing 35mm film at the moment. So I was just taking some photographs with my camera. Yeah. And my kids, and they were, they were, they were actually loving it. They were getting into the, the windows of the castles and, and, and doing some poses and, yeah, asking me to take their picture all the time, which is super adorable. But Sounds yeah. good. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. So for uh, our listeners uh, out there, you may already remember because uh, we've spoken about this on past episodes. But uh, we actually we we did a talk as part of the UK videographers uh, Facebook group, and uh, our guest today, Michaela, she was also on the docket for uh, for the day. So we have her on to talk about running your business like a CEO, which I'm very excited to get into, but. Before we get on to that, hit the button, Greg. Michaela, in your own words, who are you and what do you do? I am a creative entrepreneur who happens to have a wedding photography business. Okay, very cool. Who, who are you on a personal level, though? Let's get, let's get to know the Michaela that you might not put on your website. Who are you? Oh, I mean, there's nothing about me that I wouldn't put on my website. I'm pretty much an open book. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, sorry about that. There's no, there's no secrets. Um, I am South African, Portuguese, living in London. I am married to the most wonderful man. I am a crafter, a sewist, um, a photographer, and a creative entrepreneur who just can't not do anything, can't, can't sit still. Yeah. That's that's actually awesome because uh, well when when you were uh, talking about yourself earlier on you were you're saying how you were just you know making businesses I'm like I thought that was a hard thing to do but you make it sound so easy when you're just saying it there oh no it's it's incredibly hard and it's <laughs> it no it is it's incredibly hard and um, I somehow can't help but just keep doing them and just keep having ideas and then wanting to will them into existence. And so I kind of find myself working a lot of really late days, but mm. I think it's, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's my default and yeah. I've, I'm learning to accept it. <laughs> That's awesome. You, you obviously mentioned that there's not many things that you keep on your, keep from people from, on your website. So I want to get into your little tidbits, mm. which, uh, well, on a side note, and this gets sound totally random. I actually didn't, re- for the life of me, I didn't realize it was tidbits. Mm-hmm. I thought the word was titbits. All right. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, that. Thank you for educating me there. I don't, I've just been saying it wrong. The and I don't, I don't mean, I don't mean like. Oh, I think I, you should continue saying it that way. <laughs> I think you should just keep keep up with it. Just keep saying titbits. Well, it's great. I, I, and I don't mean like like that in the rude way. Like boobs, or you know, I, I don't want people to think I'm just thinking that way. It's just the word to me just was tit titbits. I don't know. Anyway, so that was educational. Thank you for that. Uh, no, you're yeah, welcome. you you made your own wedding dresses. That's cool. Yes. Not many people can say that. Yes, uh, we. So, like I said, we're South African, but we live in London, and we've also got some family in America, and so we got married three times last year, and um, and I made. My wedding dresses for all three weddings. Yes, so, yeah. three weddings. Yeah, that's right. Because it says wedding dresses. And I'm like, yeah. wow, okay. So either you had a costume change or you just had loads of different weddings. That's cool. Yeah, but, yeah, we did. Yeah, we kind of traveled around. We just took our wedding to wherever people were. Yeah, oh, that I love that. Good. So, yeah. so what were the kind of three groups? Like, how, 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 did you, how did you tear them apart? Yeah. So, well, London was mostly friends um, and some family that live here. Um, And then South Africa is where both of our families are. So grandparents and sort of like older school friends. Um, And then in America, I lived there for a little bit. And so I've got some host families that I'm really close to. And so that was for them. So it really meant that we could have three, like three weddings that were right for those groups of people. And the biggest one was like 45, 48 people. So we really got to spend time with everyone. I'm not sure I'd recommend it. Okay. Why? Because it was a lot of, well, it was, it was a full-time job, I think, planning those and we (laughs) DIY'd everything. So, um, and I'm also really glad that they weren't happening this year. Can you imagine three weddings on three continents? Oh man. Yeah. Brutal. Uh, you enjoy making pasta? No, so I, I don't do any of the cooking. Um, I enjoy watching my husband make ah, pasta. Right. Okay. No, so I don't. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't. I don't cook. Mm. So, um, you you like to give pasta makers to people? I yes, I do think. I think that pasta makers are an underrated wedding gift. So that's like our go-to wedding gift to give to people is oh. a pasta maker or a really really good woolen blanket. Oh hey, I'm 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 with you on the wool and blanket. I've got a good few of them, and I use them all the time. I think they're great. Yeah, so I think those are yeah, those are my two go-to gifts. Mm-hmm. 
you don't cook, but you ran a Arancini business with your husband. How, yeah, did, how so did that he, divide he, yeah. up there? <laughs> so I was a business strategy and marketing front of house, classic. Right. And um, yeah, so my husband would cook about anywhere from eight to 12 kilograms of risotto a week. Oh and then we would sit there and we would just roll the balls and like just, you know, dip them in the, in the crumbing. And then on the Sunday we would sell them. But I was, I was strictly, I was chief taster <laughs> and strictly marketing and business strategy. Very cool. Do you, is that, is that business still, uh, still functional? No, we, we actually sold it before we moved to London and the people who took over, I think haven't really kept going with it. So I'm not too sure what's happened with it, but it was, yeah. it was a lot of, it was really hard and a lot of fun. And now it's like, I'll go to like we're just really good at making risotto and an arancini now. Mm-hmm. I've actually, I don't think I've ever had arancini. If mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, you need to try I, it. Then. I, I feel like I'm missing out though. <laughs> so, so this is. I really enjoyed this tidbit because um, at the moment, uh, every Wednesday, my kids and I have a movie night, um, and my wife. Sorry, we all have a, a family movie night, and we've been making our way through the Harry Potter movies. Mm-hmm. So when you when you said that you're a proud Hufflepuff, I was like, huh, I've actually never done a Harry Potter house sorting quiz before. So I went online and I did a random quiz uh, and I posted the results on Facebook. However, I was quickly dismissed with my uh, results because they weren't from the official Harry Potter Wizarding World website. So <laughs> I went back online, created an account, and I did the official quiz. And I will let you know that I am too a Huffle Puff proud member. There you go. And then I just uh, oh, yeah. Sorry, and then I sent the quiz to Greg because I don't think he's ever watched Harry Potter. Have you? Yeah, Greg? I've seen. I've seen some of them, not all of them. But I've seen some of them. And your results. Came out as Hufflepuff as well. Oh, three Hufflepuffs on the podcast today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think you can self sort though. And I th- like, I, I would say that I am a Griffin Puff. Oh, a Griffin sort of Puff blend. combination. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I see. I'd love I, to have a bit more Slytherin in. I feel like we could all, as business owners, be a little bit more Slytherin. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, definitely more Hufflepuffian than yes. anything else. Um, I have since um, realized that being a Hufflepuff means that you're just kind of branded a bit of a potato. Right. That's that's the memes on online. Yeah, but Cedric Diggory was a Hufflepuff and Newt Scamander from the Fantastic Beasts. Exactly. They were Hufflepuffs and they're kind of, you know, they're the, the sort of main heroes of those little stories. So I think... Mm-hmm. Plus, Gryffindors yeah. are always doing really stupid stuff. They just really get into a lot of really stupid <laughs> things. I feel like at the end, the Hufflepuffs are the ones that are like left standing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's get on to a little bit about you as a creative. So how, how, did, how did you start getting into wedding industry? So I was always interested in photography and I always did it sort of on the side. Like I think a lot of us, it's quite an easy hobby to get into. And I was more interested in street documentary photography. So I was doing that and I'd started something called Humans of Durban, which was based on Humans of New York. And 
a wedding photographer that I knew through a mutual friend was looking for some work and I was still a student and she was like, do you want to assist? And I showed up and I assisted with her on like, to this date, the rainiest wedding day I've ever experienced. (laughs) And I was driving home and I was just so buzzed and she happened to be doing a double header and we both got home and it must've been about midnight and she messaged me and she was like, listen, I've got another wedding tomorrow. Are you in? And I was like, yes. And so I assisted her for about a year. And then as it kind of happens, you know, in our industry, someone then asked me to do their wedding. I said, yes. Um, And then it was just a really great way of me earning money, doing something that I was enjoying, challenging myself while studying at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the, the sort of space it occupied for me. And then I didn't sell my gear, but I put it aside when we moved to London and I thought I would get a real job, you know, like a nine to fiver. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah. And I did that for two years, got made redundant. And I thought, do you know what? I'm not made to work for other people. And so wedding photography was there as a really quite a great thing to kind of pick up and get back into. And so that was last year, January. And so in terms of doing it in the UK, it's really only been a year and a half. And I don't even think this half of a year has counted so far. Mm-hmm. Man, that's that's really cool. I didn't realize it was only, uh, well, it, was, it wasn't that long ago that you, that you started. So pretty awesome. Yeah. So it was about eight years ago that I started, but mm-hmm. with quite a big gap in between of about two and a bit years where I just didn't yeah. do anything. Had you noticed much of a change in the industry or in approaches to wedding photography during that gap? I don't know, because I think I was also moving from, you know, shooting in South Africa to now shooting in the UK. And I think South Africa word of mouth is a really big thing. And you kind of can say, Hey, I'm doing this thing. And people will sort of spread the word for you. Whereas coming to London and saying like, Hey, I'm a wedding photographer. Want to hire me? Not, not doesn't really have the same results. So I think for me, the biggest shift was rather instead of me treating this as a side hustle, it was really about me saying, actually, I've got all the experience. I don't need to build that up, but I need to treat this as a very real, very serious business. And I mm-hmm. think that's kind of where running it like a CEO came into play because I didn't have people recommending me. So I had to figure out systems of getting leads and I had to kind of get my act together. So I think that was the biggest shift. Whereas before it was sort of like, let's wait and see if someone books me, I'll show up and that'll be great. Mm. And that just wasn't going to fly if I was going to do this full time. Yeah. So uh, do you, do you still follow street photography? Like do you still do street photography on the side or? No, um, not really at all, which is Mm. interesting. I, I would say, I would say I'm not one of those photographers who, lives and breathes it like a passion. Like if I don't shoot and my cameras stay in my cupboard, I'm actually fine. So I kind of don't really feel that strong urge Uh to document. If it's there, it's there and it's great. And then I very much get into it. So I think that's something that's probably shifted for me personally. And I think in South Africa, it was very much the case of with my street photography, it was a a white privileged woman telling the story of people on streets. And most of the people in South Africa who are not driving in their cars tend to not be white. And I didn't really feel like I wanted to be responsible for telling their stories. And pretty much since then, I kind of haven't done it. And to be honest, I don't, I don't know if I'd be confident to do it in London. I feel like I would get some, I don't know. I'm a bit scared of breaking the rules in this country or like doing anything (laughs) that would cause a look. So Uh I kind of, maybe it's a post lockdown challenge to myself to maybe get out and, you know, go with one of the little silent Sony. No one can really Ooh, hear yeah. me click. Mm. Yeah. Maybe I'll do that. 
the the idea of doing street photography has always intrigued me. I used to do it when I was a teenager, but it was always of buildings and streets. And, you know, for me now, the, the attraction of a photograph is like the people in them, mm-hmm. you know, however they look, what their character is, you know, um, whatever is portrayed in that image. But with street photography, it does kind of scare me a wee bit. I, I don't, um, I, I find it very hard to, well, one, I, I don't like going up to someone who doesn't know I'm there and taking a photograph of them because just in the off chance, they'll say, no, you can't do that. That's that's not legal, blah, 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 which is, you know, nonsense. I, you know, I know the legal rights and whatever, but just that idea that people are so uh, on edge all the time, I don't, just... I know. Scares me with street photography. It's quite scary because I think especially British people as as a sort of general feeling are quite standoffish to having their photo taken. Mm. If you take a random shot from in the street, they're they're gonna feel out of place. Whereas when you see these street photographers online in sort of other countries, even America, it looks as if people are actually quite happy with their photo being taken. Mm. But I don't know the British mentality just doesn't seem to be that though so yeah i think we are in yeah we're in a a post gdpr world aren't we and i think there for me there's been a shift and i think as well part of the thrill of wedding photography is that really intense high pressure situation that i really enjoy whereas i think street photography maybe just wouldn't give me that same thrill that I get when I photograph couples and like, mm. you know, you really have to think on your feet. And I think that's what kind of keeps me going. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, I mean, it was my introduction to photography and I always say that I stumbled into this and I'm, I'm really grateful that I have, because I think it's one of those careers and skills that can kind of just accompany you for the rest of your life. And I think that's just fantastic. Yeah, and no, Absolutely. So, so what's your approach when shooting a wedding then? Because obviously you said that you're, you like being, you know, in that kind of higher pressure environment. Um, as do I have to say, I, 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 that's why I really love weddings. It's just like on the go all the time, shooting, shooting, shooting. How do you do this? How do you do that? It's a million decisions you need to make on the go. I really like that kind of flow to working. But what is it about weddings that tracks you to them? I think it's always the couple. I, I can't say that I've been to very many weddings where I've sort of felt deflated at the end. Mm. I think it's just the idea that everyone there is on their best behavior. They're all excited. There's just a lot going on. And if it's a bit crap, it's one day. So that doesn't even really feature because you're like, I've just got to make it through the day. And that's incredibly rare or has been for me at least. So I think it's a combination of getting very absorbed into someone's world in such an intense way. Cause you just learn so much about people on that day. And then creatively I work alone. I don't have a second shooter. So for me, it's really about me balancing control of the situation in terms of what's happening and what do we need to be doing, but also letting the couple be comfortable and dictate things. And it's kind of a lot of, all of my senses are firing at once. So I'm sort Mm -hmm. of like, you know, being the wedding planner, but Mm -hmm. also being creative at the same time. And then being just a really kind human for them to be around at the same time. And, and then it's also a really exciting thing because on the day you're like, Oh, I did this amazing work. And there's, you just get a rush. I don't know. It's just sort of an addiction, I think. Um, Mm. And it's just very engaging. And I think for me, because I also work alone in the way that I work, I tend to give about 150, I think a lot of us do, but like 150%. So by the end of the day and the next day, 
you're just completely flattened. But I really enjoy giving that to that couple and to their family on the day and then having it show up in the photos afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. So what what are you delivering to your clients? Is it an online gallery or do you have a physical product that you give to them? Online gallery. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd, I don't know what people would do with a USB or a CD. Um, so yeah, online gallery. And then they can always order prints or, or, um, or wedding albums. But I always feel bad saying that because we got married last year and we haven't done our wedding album yet. And we just have our images on our Google Home and it's great. <laughs> I just want to <laughs> tell my couples to just get a Google Home. Mm. Right. So let's get on to how you run your business like a CEO. In your talk, you asked people whether they were a freelancer or an entrepreneur. What, what does that actually mean and what are the differences really? So this is a, a quote from, from Seth Godin, who's sort of a marketing guru, shall we oh, say. Seth Godin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, yeah. And I think for me, it's just that shift between whether you can scale. And by scale, I don't necessarily mean in shooting more weddings or earning more money. It can also be in claiming more time back. Like how much in control are you of your business and your time and your revenue, I guess. And if you're a freelancer, you're constantly dependent on other people's work. You really only get paid for the time that you spend doing that job. If you think like an entrepreneur, you could technically walk away from your business for a week, for two weeks, for three weeks, and it wouldn't collapse. And so I think in the wedding industry, a lot of people tend to exist either in feast or famine. So wedding season, they're living like ballers. And then, you know, in the off season, everyone's sort of scraping pennies together. And I yep. think that's how freelancers think. I don't think that's how entrepreneurs think. But the other distinction for me is, are you a photographer or a videographer who happens to make money from what they do? Or are you running a profitable business that just happens to be in photography or videography. And that is a shift because if you are an entrepreneur and you see yourself as running a business that just happens to be providing the service, you're going to think a bit more strategically. You're going to know, you know, your income, you're going to know how well you're doing. You're going to know what it costs for you to get a booking. You're going to invest in systems and services that are going to make your job easier. All of those sorts of things, that kind of thinking will start to happen when you shift from being a freelancer to an entrepreneur. Have you always had this uh, mindset from the very start or has this been like a slow learning curve for you? I think I've always been an entrepreneur. There are some pictures of me selling things from a very early age and I've always had businesses. And so I think by nature, I think like a business owner and like an entrepreneur. In terms of photography, I think it's been a bit difficult because when I did start my business and I was running it in South Africa, it was while I was studying and while I was doing my degree. And so it was, it just was what it was. If I got a booking, it was great. My expenses were super low. So I don't think I fully set up my business in a way to be as profitable or productive or efficient. But now for me, I, I'm planning on having, you know, six businesses in three years and one of them is going to be photography. So if I want to shoot, you know, 30 plus weddings a year and survive, I need to be thinking about it like a business and not a hobby that makes me money. And so I think that's also forced me to be super strategic and let go of things and outsource and make sure that I'm getting 
leads in a consistent way that doesn't require me selling my soul on Instagram every day and that kind of thinking. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, I, th- I think, well, I I don't want to speak for anyone else. So let's just speak for Greg and I. Greg and I came into doing wedding films because we had a passion for films, but we were not business people. Would oh, you yeah. agree with me? Yeah. Like way back at the start, mm. we had no idea about marketing or anything we've had to sort of pick that up as we've gone along yeah so that natural entrepreneur wasn't there from the start i don't think for us no it was a hard lesson i think so yeah it's been more of a learning curve for us Mm -hmm. to get to the point of like listening to audiobooks and learning about the sort of marketing and ceo side of stuff yeah let's talk then about how you'd maybe go ahead and, and and start running your business more like a CEO, like for someone who is, you know, listening, thinking, you know what, I'm actually, I'm just a creative person who just take fo- takes photographs and I make money from, how, how do they start implementing more of a business mindset? So I think the biggest thing that scares people is the money side of things. And I think they sort of are so worried about maybe hiring someone or doing ads because of the learning curve and because what is it going to cost and do I have enough money? And so I think that you need to move past that. Firstly, you need to see your business as, as not an evil thing. You need to see the strategy or the marketing or any of the unsexy stuff as, as a good thing to be doing and a good thing to be investing your time and energy in. Because I can tell you that outsourcing almost every part of my business makes me a better photographer because on that day I can show up refreshed. I'm not overwhelmed. I don't have a backlog of editing and I can do a much better job for my couples than if I was sitting under a mountain of editing and stressing about what I was going to post on Instagram. So I think that's the first thing. It's it's not, it's not a dirty word. The other thing that you have to do is just be quite honest with yourself and look at your business holistically and ask yourself how how much money do I need to make? How much is each wedding costing me? What do I need to improve on? If I'm going to run Facebook ads, does my website look good? And I think sometimes we get too scared of asking ourselves those questions because it just ultimately means more work. And so we go, mm-hmm. well, okay, if, if I'm going to do Facebook ads, I've got to figure out Facebook ads. And if my website isn't good, then I've got to fix my website. And it kind of tends to spiral. But if you yeah. map that all out and you kind of think of a clear strategy and what is going to work for you, you're going to ultimately make better decisions. And I think so often I see people in our industry and I don't blame them. We're all, you know, we're creatives and I I can understand why people get distracted, but I've seen people, for example, during lockdown, get really distracted by things like lockdown portraits and doorstep portraits. And they're spending three, four weeks, you know, advertising, shooting, editing, and they could have spent those three, four weeks either learning something new, mastering Facebook ads or writing blogs for SEO. And so I think mm-hmm. that's where strategy will help you kind of make better decisions for your business, which is sort of you ha- you have to get to a place where you feel like you can make those better decisions. And that's only going to come if you really look at your business honestly and you're not scared of what you might find. Yeah, it can definitely, I think a lot of people find it scary to think about all that stuff and actually take action on it. So they find it easier to just be like, oh, I'll just go and take photos or I'll just Mm. keep doing what I've been doing. Whereas, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like if they take time and think about all that other stuff that needs to be done and plan it out, it's not the sexy stuff or the fun stuff to be doing, but it'll make a bigger improvement in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've been known to, to hide in my work 
in the in 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 the past years. Uh, that that was a, a a coping mechanism for me. I think that's where, but, as a duo, yeah, it work. It helps us better because we don't outsource our editing or anything. So during wedding season, when there's a backlog, Simon just comes in, works through the backlog, and just does that. Whereas I'm mm-hmm. not editing, mm. so I'm free to do a lot of the other stuff. Yeah. So, so we're in a privileged position as a duo. We, we, yeah, we are. And uh, it, yeah, it's quite complementary of our skill sets because you are definitely better at numbers and everything else. And I would say I'm better doing the creative stuff for the most part. Obviously, we're both creative. and Well, we're both creative, but we're not both good with numbers. So <laughs> uh, yeah, so if you're listening out there panicking that you um, don't have a skill set, maybe find someone who does. Get yourself a Greg. <laughs> you saying people should outsource their work to me? You're trying to get rid of me. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't don't get my Greg. Find yourself another Greg. Your Greg. Um, so, Michaela, um, what are some of the strategies that you've maybe implemented in your business? In case you know people are listening out there and not really knowing what a strategy is. So, I would say the three the three biggest things are. And none of them, I'm really sorry, listeners, none of them are fun, none of them are sexy, and almost all of them involve spreadsheets. So the the three biggest things <laughs> yes. would be, it's just true, it's just true, get, get comfortable with spreadsheets, um, is you need to know your data, so you need to know your numbers, that is the most important thing, and it will still, to this day, shock me when I kind of go into my spreadsheets and I'm like, wait, I have to book how many more weddings to... Oh man. Okay. Hold on. I'm off. And if you can kind of enjoy that shock, if you can learn to see that as motivation and not failure, that's a, Mm -hmm. that's a good thing to practice. But I think you have to know your numbers. You have to know how many weddings you want to shoot at what price point. And it doesn't just stop there. Then you have to know, what does that mean? Does it mean that you need to elevate your brand? Does it mean that you want to shoot more weddings? Does it mean that you need to understand Facebook ads or Instagram ads to be able to get more bookings? Starting with the hard facts, I guess, and the hard data is mm-hmm. a really important strategy. And it's, it's something that we all ignore, but that will almost always help you make better decisions. And I think it's the same thing yeah. if you're going to be deciding to maybe suddenly start doing commercial films or branding films. Well, how much effort is that going to take you? And how much money is that going to bring you? And would you be better off just booking two more weddings instead? Mm-hmm. Well, if you would, the data is going to tell you that. And so I think that's an important thing. I think the other two things are automation in whatever form works for you. So whether that's for your clients, whether that's for your your lifestyle, if you've got, you know, grocery orders that are coming in however many weeks, it doesn't matter, but making things, making sure that you're in control of your time. So some form of automation, if you don't have like a customer relationship manager, a CRM like Dubsado or something like that, that's that was my first employee. Um, <laughs> some form of automation is has mm-hmm. got to be in there. And then I would say the third strategy is outsourcing. Whatever, again, whatever that might look like for you. Some people really enjoy doing their editing and that's absolutely fine. In which case, focus on automation and make sure you're doing it in the, the quickest, most productive way. But... For other people, time is really important, whether you are working a full-time job and shooting on the side or whether you have family or whether you are wanting to start other businesses like me. It's really important to know where your time is going and wherever you can, 
you should outsource. I think as an industry, we're very used to keeping, we're very low expenses. Once we've sort of done that setup, we kind of, you know, we're not paying for film, I suppose you are now, but do you know what I mean? We kind of, we don't really have, we, we were quite used to having a high profit margin. And for me, I've hired so many people that my profit margin has decreased, but my time that I've got available to myself has increased and that's worth it for me. And so I think all of that stuff kind of goes together, you know, knowing your your data, outsourcing and automating, all of that are good places to start and figure out what works for you. Yeah. You mentioned very, very briefly what you give your clients. Have you looked at what you give your clients with that frame of mind and looked at the data and gone, you know what, this product really isn't, like I'm not going to offer this product because it's not really doing me uh, a service. To an extent, I think... I also run, I'm sounding quite, you know, hardcore CEO. I also run my business with quite a lot of heart and authenticity and fairness. So I don't charge as much as I possibly could. I haven't kind of gone for that strategy of fewer weddings, higher price points, because that's something that personally I don't feel that comfortable with. And I'd rather slightly undercharge and majorly over deliver. But that's again, that's my personal strategy because that reduces stress in my life. But (laughs) I think definitely. So there's certain things that I don't include in my packages. I don't include albums. So if you want them, you kind of need to do them either on your own through my software or pay me for them because they're actually just quite a lot of a a faff for me personally, and I don't enjoy doing them. So that would be an example of one. I think the other thing is just that I don't advertise any of the other shoots that I do. So if they come to me, they're coming to me with very little effort. So if someone comes to me for a family shoot or I had someone last week who I did a headshot session for him for his Tinder profile, which was, I'd never done that before. And that was great. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not wasting my time, effort and energy advertising for that because it's not, it's not to say that the money isn't worth it from doing those shoots. It is, but my time and energy Mm. and effort promoting them isn't. So that is a very strategic Mm. decision. And then I also give my clients a lot of gifts. I spend about like 60 to 70 pounds throughout their process And partly, again, that's like the values side of it. I really, I'm a gift giver by nature and I like to do that. (laughs) But the other part is strategically nice people know nice people. And if I can serve you really well, and if you're going to reduce my costs in the future, because you're going to refer people. And if you're nice and they're nice, that's great for my business. So, and also the more gifts I give you, the more in love you're going to be with me by the time I show up on the day. And if (laughs) something happens and I can't get the editing to you quite as quickly, you're more likely to forgive me. And so all of that is strategic, maybe not from a financial sense, but definitely from a way that I want to run my business in a way that works for me. And that's important. Like this is, doesn't all have to be financial. It can definitely be mm-hmm. about setting yeah. up systems and thinking strategically about what really works for you. Yeah. I think that's a really good point as well, though, that for all we're talking about the CEO mindset and looking at your business as a business in this industry, especially there is still a lot of it that comes down to heart and what feels right for you and your business. Mm-hmm. But you've got to sort of be aware that it is also a business. Um, mm-hmm. But you mentioned Dubsado. Is there any other tools or products that you've used throughout the years that you've found useful for automating or any that you've avoided and chose not to use? Yes. I actually would really want to put this all into a a juicy list for people. There are really small, stupid things that have made the biggest difference. Like on my desk, I have a wireless charger and just there's a, there's a mindset thing of just being able to just pop my phone on there and it's already charging. 
just, I don't know, for me personally, I can't stand looking for a charger. <laughs> that was like one of the best decisions <laughs> I've ever made. And there's just a bit of like that, that's, you're making your life slightly easier. So that has been huge and as well as little tiny Wacom tablet for the editing that I do. But other than that, I've slowly outsourced a lot of things. Dubsado was probably the first thing that I did. So that made sure that my clients were getting emails, whether I was ill, whether I was shooting, they were getting the information that they needed. It was really easy for them to be able to book with me, all of that kind of stuff. That's all um, automated. I use PickTime to deliver everything. And PickTime has a bunch of automations where you can sell products and services. Yep. Um, there is something called time. Zapier. Yeah, PickTime. Yes, yeah, great. Um, there's mm. something called Zapier, which like helps apps talk to each other. So when I get a Facebook lead, it tells Dubsado for me. There's definitely more. I outsource my editing and I have someone who does my culling and I have a marketing manager and I have a ads person. So I kind of, but again, this is going to be to the extreme. I'm going to fully acknowledge that. Like I'm trying to run a 40 wedding a year business on one to two days a week. So that is an extreme, but I think there've been a lot of, there are a lot of small things. I'm now trying to get Slack, which is sort of a messaging app, but I'm trying to get Slack integrated. So it just messages me important things. Like it's just going to be me and my workspace, but you can kind of set things up so that when you get paid, through Dubsado, which is through Stripe, it'll it'll ping and it'll send you like a money emoji. And, you know, you can kind of automate it to do all of those things for you. And I'm I'm hoping to to kind of have have Slack set up to be, you know, another employee for me. But with everything that you're looking at in your business, if it is taking your time, your effort and your energy, you need to be asking like, what would this look like if it was easy? And if the answer isn't you doing it, then you need to maybe explore what that would look like. So you don't necessarily have to outsource your editing, but if you do a little bit of research, you might want to buy a photo mechanic, which might make your culling a bit easier. And you might want to turn your screen into black and white and cull backwards. Cause that's a really good hack to, yeah. you know, save some time. There's all of those sorts of things. Every t- you know, a good place to start is just as you go forward now in lockdown, when maybe you have a bit more time is to ask, well, could could this be easier? What does that look like? And am I willing to spend the money or the time or the effort for those results? Yeah. Another one of the strategies you talked about was the importance of monitoring your data and your numbers, which I love. I remember when you said that in the talk on Facebook, I was like, yes, because I've got loads of spreadsheets as well that I've talked about sort of in passing and other episodes. Um, what What's like talk a bit more about the importance of data and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think there is some really basic data you should be monitoring. You should be looking on Instagram and seeing, you know, which posts are getting the most engagement. Are they worth your time? If you try something else, does it work well? You should kind of be consistently looking for some sort of facts because a lot of what we do and a lot of marketing is we kind of put some stuff out there and we wait and see what sticks. And it's really hard to know what's working. So any data you can find is going to just give you a bit more concrete evidence that the thing that you did got the result that you wanted. So there's loads of data there. And if you're using a CRM, some are a little bit better at tracking data than others. But even if it's once a year, you go through it and you suddenly look at, for me, the most important things are where are my leads coming from? What did it cost me to get them? And how much did they spend with me? And so I can be very, you know, I'm happy to be very open and honest. I think in the last year and a half, 
I want to say that maybe only six of my bookings, and I'm sitting on probably around 30, 35 total, maybe only six of them came through referrals. Everything else came through Facebook ads or Instagram ads or being very, very active on the very strategic marketing side of it. And within that bunch, I would say probably 90% of those were through Facebook ads because there was no other way I was going to get bookings. And I knew by tracking my data from the very beginning that, oh, well, this is good. I've spent, you know, 120 pounds on Facebook, but it brought me this one lead. And I've kind of been tracking that. So I then knew whether I was willing to spend more money doing the same thing to then get the same results. If I wasn't tracking that information, I think I would have, you know, spent my first 300 pounds and gone, well, that was, that was, you know, I got all these leads, but none of them booked. (laughs) Yeah. But by tracking that data, I was like, well, actually you got a lot of leads, only one in 10 converted, but the ones that did convert, converted at around, you know, 1,800 pounds. Great. That's super useful information. And then I was also looking at, well, the leads that came to me via referral, how many of them converted? And it's like one in two, so a much higher conversion rate. And they converted with a higher spend, I think closer to the 2000 pound mark. So for me- that just says, do you know what? Keep giving gifts to people, keep promoting things on your personal profile, keep making sure that people know that you're available. Like that just kind of lets me know the quality of those sources. And I still continue to do Facebook ads because it's the easiest way for me at the moment, but it kind of helps you figure out what tactics are working. Um, so I think the most important things in t- from a marketing perspective are to track where your leads are coming from, how many of them are converting? So from inquiry to booking and how much they're converting for. So what the value of that lead is. And I think again, people who inquired via a Facebook lead gen ad, I think it's one in 13 convert, but people who inquire directly via my website, it's like one in three. So that's told me this year, you really want to work on your SEO. That is valuable. Like that will, that will be a good move for you. So again, it's just, when you're sitting at home and you're like, I don't know what to do. And then you want to post in a Facebook group and you'd be like, Hey guys, does anybody have any advice? Just look at your data. Your data is going to tell you what to do, or at least start tracking your data because then at least you can make decisions that aren't based on anybody else's business or how successful they're pretending to be. You can make decisions based on your own business and what you're trying to do. Yeah. Mm. Are you, I think I know the answer to this judging by sort of the way you look at things, but these spreadsheets and the way you're tracking the data, is this things that you're creating yourself or are you getting like a template from someone? If you get any resources that people could use or do you sell your pre- your Excel sheets at all? Yeah. So I did not, <laughs> I did not start out in this industry and, you know, being a wedding photographer in the UK, becoming the like Facebook ads girl and like the face for running your business like a CEO, that's just sort of happened. So I'm now only starting to realize, oh, not, not, uh, not everyone's like me. Okay. This is, <laughs> this is good to know. Like tone down the spreadsheet talk. And I am not a maths person at all. Um, but yeah, I've, I've set up some, set up some spreadsheets and I am actually, by the time this podcast comes out, uh, going to be having some online education because I've genuinely realized, I'm not just saying it, but that there is a gap in our industry for, for the non-sexy stuff. You know, we're all about talking about finding your ideal client, but no one's talking about how to track your metrics. And so somehow I've now turned into the spreadsheet person. And so, yeah, I've, I'm going to be 
uh, creating and making sure that they're not as janky as mine and making sure that they're easy for people to use and, you know, offering that for people to purchase so that they can put in their own numbers and learn to read them and hopefully just make better decisions for their business. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that would be quite good because I know I've created more over the years, but I know that a lot of people look at spreadsheets and are like, ah, what do I do? So having templates available for people is a good idea, I think. Yeah. 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 Well, what would you say to the people out there who maybe haven't considered this, but are maybe thinking, well, I, I just run my business by what feels right to me. You know, um, if I want to do some Facebook ads and I'm getting one or two hits, then, you know, that's that's good enough. Do you have anything to say to those kind of people? Have that. If that's working for you, if you are getting enough work and you feel that it is consistent and you think that it's going to be enough, then absolutely. Like, that's fine. I'm definitely not forcing anybody to run their business like me. Um, I think for me, it's just more of a response to people who don't seem to realize that this sort of stuff is in your control. Mm -hmm. That and to an extent, I mean, we can't control what people do, but to an extent, you can control how much money you put in behind ads. You can control how much time you spend on Instagram and what exactly you're doing with it. That actually is in your control. And mm-hmm. I think for me, it's the people who feel like their business is running them and not the other way around that could potentially benefit from just shifting their thinking a bit and yeah. being a bit more business minded. But mm-hmm. for other people who are doing well financially or who maybe don't need to do any better and they love it for the creativity of it. Absolutely. Like you're fine. Like as long as you're not wanting or needing more or feeling stuck or frustrated or like, yeah, like your business is running you, not the other way around, then you're all right. Keep going. With Jack was designed from the ground up and is tailored specifically for creatives. Whether you provide a service like design, development or photography or offer advice to clients, With Jack is for you. It's focused on creatives. Insurance shouldn't be complicated, so With Jack has made every step easy. You'll deal with one form and talk to one Jack as you sign up, get covered and move on with your day. With Jack is all about bespoke insurance for creatives. Simple. That doesn't mean more forms are faff, it means less. It's not about endless features and stale service. It's about one solid policy and the personal touch. Bye-bye, unnecessary fuss. Hello, creative, friendly insurance. Be a confident creative. When we uh, when we start talking about data, you were quick to uh, reassure us that, you know, you still have those personal, that personal touch, that that's important to you. And I, I think a lot of people kind of think that, well, maybe they might worry that if by running, starting to run their company like a CEO, that they might lose the kind of personal touch. Because obviously being in the wedding industry, you know, a lot of our business is about that. Um, yeah. I found it interesting that you obviously not only have the data for yourself, but you also display the data to potential booking couples because you have how many bookings you've got on your website for what year. So they can kind of see, hey, you're not full yet. I can go ahead and inquire with you. I just found that was quite a good way to implement data 
in a way that kind of made potential clients feel better about getting in touch with you? Okay, I'm going to be completely honest because that's a huge part of who I am and how I run my business. Um, that is more of a marketing tactic as well. I uh-huh. think, to be honest, so what um, what you're talking about is on my website, which is pretty new. So that that's that's a new little feature. It kind of says oh, like cool. how booked up I am for like this year and next year and the year after. Yeah. And to be honest, that is something that I'm testing out from a strategy perspective to mm-hmm. kind of just nudge couples to maybe oh, actually, no, she, you know, maybe we need to get on it. Or I think sometimes they don't really realize where we're at in our business and our bookings. So yeah, I would kind of, that to me, um, I'm happy to be completely honest. That's more of a marketing tactic, Mm -hmm. but I think, I think there is a place for, for data and there is a place for automation and there is a place where it doesn't belong. So we've got to remember that until people sort of book with us, you know, we, we tend to spend a lot of our emotional time and energy on leads. And sometimes that's absolutely the right thing to do. So if someone emails you or inquires and, you know, you should at least maybe have an autoresponder saying like, hey, I've got your email, I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. The first email that I send back to people, it's part of a workflow. So there is a rough template, but I, and there's some stuff that stays the same because it's what you're going to tell every couple, but yeah. I will spend time and effort and energy saying, you know, I can't believe that you met your husband in, you know, university. That's my story. And I've looked at your venue and I absolutely love this about it. How cool is that going to be? Like, yeah. I will spend a lot of time and effort and energy. And most couples that will go on to book me will respond straight away to that email. So we're good, you know, and then they'll be able to book a call, which is all automated. That's all fine. I don't mind the rest of that being automated because I've shown the effort. But if I'm getting ghosted, yeah, you're going to get some follow-up emails that aren't going to be <laughs> automated. I mean, that aren't going to be personalized. They're going to be automated and they're still yeah. going to be helpful. And they're going to be encouraging you to book a call so that I can put in that time and effort and energy. But I would much rather have something automated go out mm-hmm. and send you know, my email sequence than just kind of be waiting. Again, I'm in control of that. Um, and I think there are certain things that it's just better service. So my clients will, they're able to book a call with me directly through my website. So there's no backwards and forwards of, you know, which restaurant do you want to meet at or what times are you free? They know when I'm free, it's on there. They click, 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 they book it. They instantly get a response saying like, Hey, great. This is what we're going to chat about on our call. And then 24 hours before they get a reminder saying like, Hey, are we all good to chat? If not reschedule. And Mm -hmm. that saves my ass because I'm not wondering, like, I'm I'm not trying to remember like, Oh, I've got that call tomorrow. I need to check in with them. Are they still fine? That, you know, sometimes people have rescheduled and go, Oh, sorry, my work times have changed. And then another one goes out an hour before. So Mm -hmm. I'm sitting at home planning my dinner around a client call and it just will automatically pop up and say, so-and-so is just rescheduled for this date great. Like that is actually, you're doing a better job for your clients because you, you and your tiny robots, which is what I call them, my emails, um, your tiny robots are doing your work for you. And it's the same thing with, um, their payments being due. I think I have a little notification that says, um, this is a reminder from Michaela and her tiny robots. Your payment is due in three days time. And then only Mm. if they don't pay it, does another little friendly reminder go out. And there's a very, you can do that in a way that doesn't feel horrible. And it actually, I think, makes me feel confident that I'm doing my job at all times, no matter how, no matter what's going on in my personal life. And it means that I can show up for my clients. And I think that makes me a better photographer. And it definitely 
provides more value to them than takes away any value. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, you do have to be careful with, you know, automation. As soon as COVID happened, I've just pressed pause on every single workflow, lest someone get like <laughs> yeah. a message that was like, so looking forward to your wedding. So you do have to be on it. But again, that's what, you know, running your business like a CEO, that, that's what that would do. You know, make sure that you're on top of stuff. Yeah, that's really cool. When you sent me over some notes, you were, uh, you, you mentioned the, uh, the drudgery zone and other zones, obviously. What are these zones? And are, yeah. are these your creations or are these, pu- are these public knowledge, these zones? Are they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these are from a book called, I'm just looking at it now, Free to Focus by Michael Hyatt. And I would say that's been one of the, the two books, not that you're asking, but the two books I would recommend the most are <laughs> Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller and Free to Focus yes. by Michael Hyatt. I read both of those in like a week and I was like, right. We're changing things up here. Um, And so, yeah, so Michael Hyatt talks about these, these zones. And, um, you know, if you are listening, I think you should definitely just kind of think about all the tasks that you do and where they fall into. So there's four zones. There's the drudgery zone, which is made up of tasks that you aren't good at and you have no passion for. So for me, that's accounting. I know I'm talking about spreadsheets, but I, I don't understand accounts. I don't understand why and when tax has to be paid. Like, Anything that goes straight into the drudgery zone, you should outsource or automate instantly. Then there's the disinterest mm-hmm. zone. So there's things that you're proficient at, you're good enough at them, but you're maybe not passionate about. So for me, that's editing. I, I, I can't say I love it. So that's outsourced. It's just a wedding that should take me four hours would be taking me like two days because I just wasn't enjoying it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the disinterest zone. If you're good at it, but you're not passionate about it. And that's, I think, where a lot of entrepreneurs tend to keep things. They're like, oh, but I could do it. Like, I could definitely do it. So I'll just, I'll just keep doing it instead of outsourcing Mm. it. Then there's the distraction zone, which are things that you're passionate about, but not particularly proficient in. So for me, that's like designing my website. I get very excited and I kind of get sucked into it. I'm not particularly good at it. It takes me way longer than it should, but that's kind of my distraction zone. And then Mm -hmm. there's the desire zone, which is everything that you're passionate about and highly proficient in. So for a lot of people, that would be the actual showing up and shooting, you know, and no one is saying that you should take that away. And no one is saying that you should take any of these away. But I think knowing where things fall makes it a little bit easier. A lot of, I think, running your business in a kind way to yourself is giving yourself permission to not enjoy everything. So if you know that something's in the drudgery zone, stop trying to be passionate about it. Just do it. Just do it at like 70% and move on. If you know that something is in the desire zone, then make sure that you are actively trying to, you know, create more time and effort and energy to give yourself more time in the desire zone. So for a lot of creatives, your desire zone might be weddings, but also passion projects. And so why would you want to get stuck spending most of your time in the disinterest zone when you could be doing a passion project? You know, why, why would I not want to outsource my editing at 170, 170 pounds for a wedding, roughly? That's like two days I get back to spend with my husband, building a business, sewing, doing whatever I want. That works out. And I just kind of put that into my packages. Like I've made sure that I can accommodate that. And it makes mm-hmm. me a much better photographer, partner, human by not focusing on those. So anything that's not in your desire zone, you should consider eliminating it. So just saying no, automating it. So spending money on software or figuring out ways to save time or delegating it. So outsource Mm -hmm. it. I suppose that goes back to like how we run our business. Well, 
the two branches of of us just you manage your part so we kind of spread out the zones yeah yeah, yeah. very cool very cool uh, well t- uh, you know, talk to us about automation then obviously we've mentioned it briefly should the goal in business be to make the majority of it automatic is that kind of like so 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 you go to bed and you're just earning money you know that that's kind of like the dream statement really oh entrepreneurs they make money in their sleep like that's kind of like the go to you've made it but yeah, obviously I, th- I know I th- you've said mm. that yeah. I think that's really hard in our business. Like I think mm. you really, if, if you, there are very few people who can book couples without talking to them. There are, it, we, we work in a highly personal industry. And also we have to remember that the money that people are spending on us is a significant amount. You know, if you can remember the last time that you spent two grand on something, then by all means, you know, like you need to understand what that experience felt like. So we can't, we can't expect for people to be booking weddings while we sleep without, you know, having spoken to us or bought into us or without us maybe having shown value. I think that's, I'm going to say, I think that's an arrogant way to run your business and especially in the wedding Mm -hmm. industry. However, I have little robots that do lots of things. So some of them are human and some of them aren't. But I think for me, one of the best things is when I, what is a good example? When I log into Later, which is like my social media management app and my marketing manager has created all of my posts for me. And I'm like, oh, that feels so good. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that should be happening while you sleep. Those are the sorts of things that should be happening, you know, in the background. Um, Having people edit for you is another really good example. Having your accounts maybe automate. So, you know, I I think I've, I use zero. And so once a month I only have to go in and there's already like some rules set up. So it knows that every month when I'm paying for, you know, Dubsado or some sort of software, that's an automation. All I have to say is, yep, that was Dubsado. Yep, yep, yep. So going through my accounts takes me, 20 minutes. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, maybe we shouldn't be thinking about it as things that happen while you're sleeping, but things that happen pretty quickly and pretty effortlessly. That's the kind of stuff. Um, Like clients booking calls, clients ordering albums, all of that should be as simplified as possible for you and for them. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things, one of the biggest time savers for us a while back was when we started using Calendly to organize mm-hmm. our sort of calls of couples mm. and just stop the whole, oh, can you do this day? No. Can you do this day? No. All those back <laughs> and forward emails got took out right away because we just said, schedule a call with this link and they could see when we we're available, which mm-hmm. the same with organizing these podcasts, we use Candle mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. It's, it just saves so much time because yeah. you just go, I'm available these times when suits you. Yeah. yeah, and that's obviously that. That's from our point of view. How was it when I sent the link over to you? Was yeah, it's great. A nice. Yeah, was it a good flow? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I think autom- It sounds like you're trying to sort of maximize your productivity and your time more than working while you're sleeping, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think it's good the way that you you do acknowledge it when you sometimes message couples, like when you said that there was a message from Michaela and her robots. Ah, uh, yeah, I love that. Simon sort of perked up a wee <laughs> smile there. I was like, really yeah. like that. That's fun. Uh, yeah. So it's good no. to acknowledge it sometimes because most couples should be aware that these things happen nowadays. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And I mean, that, I think it's, you know, I'm trying to think they get a proposal, they book me, they sign that. And there's an automated email that says, I mean, again, that's another thing. If you can automate that, say like, Hey, I've got your money. Like they've just paid a significant amount of money to book you. Like have something yeah. that you can, no matter where you are, you know, if you're out to dinner or whatever, you can just say like, yep, send great. That's a, a great thing to automate things like after you deliver the work, have something that goes out three weeks later that says, Hey, just to let you know, it really helps my business. If you leave a review, here are the two links for you to do that. All of those things I think are just smarter ways of running your business. And I completely agree with you that they're, they're, we're expected to do so much as entrepreneurs. And, you know, I think for us, we don't get a lot of repeat business. So when you work in the wedding industry, you're not likely to have a client that's going to hang out with you for six years, like if you were in a different industry. So you have to work a lot to get your work. And I think making that process simpler and easier is it's not, it's not stingy. It's a, it's an act of kindness and an act of generosity for you and for your couples to uh, implement those systems. Yeah. So when you decide to automate or to eliminate or to delegate, are you, are you just looking back at those, uh, those zones? Is that, is that, is that how you kind of make that decision? Yeah. Um, I think, I think for me, when I'm trying to automate something, there's a bit of a curiosity and an intrigue of like, well, could I automate this? Like, is there an easier way? And I think sometimes that looks like me purchasing a piece of software. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Zapier, for example, isn't cheap. I think I have to pay about $25 for it a month, but it meant that I wasn't having to check if I had any new Facebook leads every like five minutes on my phone. So to me, that was worth it. Um, mm -hmm. So it might be some sort of software or it might sometimes be putting in the time and effort to set up a system. So you might not be able to outsource everything or, or pay for people to set things up. But for example, right, SEO, I didn't know anything about SEO. I spent a week learning about it and watching as much as I could. And then I spent another week, an entire week, just looking up keywords. And that's a form of me automating because in six months time, when I have some time to write a blog, I just need to pull up my long list of keywords and go, cool, I'm going to write about this venue or this thing because I've almost automated my thinking. You're trying to remove those barriers to actionable barriers to, to thinking. Um, when it comes to outsourcing, the analogy I always share with people is if you're if you need to get home, I mean, just imagine like after a wedding and you need to get home and you've got to take the train home or a bus and it's going to take you like 45 minutes. But if you just ordered an Uber for like 30 quid, you'd be home in 15 and you're like, I can't do that. I can't justify the 30 quid. And you kind of, you know, sit there and debate with yourself and then you order the Uber. And by the time you get home, you're like, yep, would have paid 60. Like that was worth <laughs> every single, like that is the feeling that I get uh -huh. every single time I outsource something. So every single time I go like, oh God, really like, no. And like, I really should do it myself. And what if, what if? And then the minute I send it off, I'm like, oh, okay, a little bit of relief. And then when it comes back and I think of all the other stuff that I've done with that time, I'm like, oh yes, totally worth it. Like a hundred percent worth it. So I think you have to think about it in terms of not what you're giving up, but what you're gaining. And I think the one question you can ask yourself is, what is it costing me, my family, my business for me to be spending this time working on this thing? So if it takes you two days to edit a wedding and you could outsource it, 
what is what is that costing your business? So for me, it's just always costing business growth. You know, it's always costing maybe the next business idea I want to do, or maybe I want to branch out into coaching or have a podcast call. I can do all of those things because I've decided that that cost is worth it for me personally mm. or for my business. And that might literally be, you might be willing to pay 125 or whatever it is just to spend more time with your family. Like that is a valid decision. You can do that. We can, we can spend money to gain time. Like that is a completely yeah. valid decision and you shouldn't feel guilty about that. And if it means that you have to raise your prices a little bit or maybe take on one or two extra weddings, it might be worth it for you. Yeah. I love all this sort of stuff and all this way of thinking. Is there anything from the sort of Facebook talk that you did that we've not sort of covered that are any questions that you would ask that you want to to touch on before we start sort of wrapping up? I think probably one of the only things that I maybe haven't mentioned, I've spoken about it in a roundabout way, is just making sure that you know your return on investment. So if you are going to get into Facebook ads or, or things like that, understanding the amount of money you're spending on something and, and what is coming back to you is really important. I think on the call, um, I even asked, I'm trying to see what I, can't remember what my stats are anymore, but um, I think I even asked um, someone, you know, if, if you, if I had to say to you, can you give me a thousand three hundred pounds and I'm going to give you 27,000 pounds? Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't think twice, right? You'd find a way to get that yeah. money and you would <laughs> give it to me because you're going to get 27,000 pounds. Like that's advertising guys. Like don't, it's not something dirty. <laughs> it's good numbers. It's good maths. Even, you know, those of us who aren't good at maths can see that that's a good deal. And mm -hmm. so I think we don't, we're not told to, to spend money to get leads. We're told to rely on referrals. Um, and I think if you think that most businesses, I think spend anywhere between five to 15% of their revenue, not their profit, their revenue on marketing, we're not asking, you know, I'm not asking you to spend that much money on it. Um, and, and we should, you should be spending money on marketing in some way. You really should, because I think what's going to happen is that everyone's going to have this amazing bumper year next year. They're going to be burnt out because, you know, we're, we're shooting like what, like six weddings a week at this point. Yeah. Um, and what's going to happen is everyone's going to get to the end of next year and they're going to be like, whoa, what a great year. I did so much. And they're going to have no bookings for 2022. And <laughs> they're going to have no bookings for 2023. And the people who get their stuff together, um, to get their act together now and have systems in place they're the ones that are going to have successful businesses in, in 2022 and 2023, because there's no, you just, you, you're going to need them because next year, like there, there's never been a better time to automate and to outsource and to have systems in place than whatever 2021 is going to bring us with, you know, like, I don't even know, 85 weddings, who knows? It's just <laughs> going to be insane. Um, and so I think, yeah, that's my sort of my last bit of just do it. Just, just start somewhere. Um mm. Just start somewhere, start with a bit of a strategy and start with a CRM um, that can manage your sort of systems and workflows. And that's, that's just, you're not going to regret that tiny bit of investment. I just, I can't see how, how it can't be a good thing for your business. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mikhail, thank you very much for, for enlightening us on this episode because, well, it, it might be a little bit more easier for Greg to think with numbers and stuff. Uh, but for me, it's a little bit harder. So uh, I re really appreciate you uh, opening my eyes to the world of CEO thinking. You're welcome. Um, where can where can people find you online? 
Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Michaela Karina Photography. It's Michaela without an H. And you can find me online at www.michaelacarina.com. And I have just launched a Facebook group, which is Business Mindset Ooh. for Wedding Creatives. Learn how to run your business like a CEO. And if you just Google, sorry, if you just search on Facebook, get it together it should pop up. Otherwise you can search, get it together, business mindset for wedding creatives. And I'm just hoping to honor my now title as the, you know, data girl, spreadsheet person <laughs> and just kind awesome. of, you know, get, yeah, get more people feeling more confident in their business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And that's great. I'm going to come over and join that group. Yeah. 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 Do you know Some what? If you do it, should as well. Yeah. If you do it now, you might be the first person. <laughs> <laughs> maybe i just set it up a few minutes before this call and <laughs> <laughs> uh, people oh, would find awesome. us at cinemate films on instagram and cinematefilms.co.uk yeah if you have any questions for us uh throw them in the dms we will get back to you as soon as possible and unfortunately it won't be an automated response we don't have that for instagram we will reply to you in due course when we're free Anyway, thank you very much for listening to this podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode goes online, please do leave a review. I know it's a bit boring, but it would be a massive help in order to grow the podcast. But if you don't want to do that, maybe just tell your friend, your colleague, your family, your dog. However, until next time, enjoy your life.